Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, welcome back to We Met at Acme. We are doing the first full solo episode. I love how I say we, but like it's literally just me sitting in my apartment of February and... This has been a very sad week. If you follow me in social media, you know that we lost our family dog this week. Riley was a very special guy. He was a Pisces, if you're curious. He loved to run away and then come back and surprise us. Actually, he went missing last summer and I was devastated. And it turns out he was just stuck under someone's deck, which is so cute. He was a really good boy and sometimes he would get really excited when he would meet new people and they would talk in a high-pitched voice like, hi, Riley, and then he would pee on them. And he just had lots of quirks, you know? He loved eating underwear. So I hope that wherever he is in doggy heaven, he's able to eat lots of underwear and run away and come back and hang out with all my friends' doggies and our old dog, Tashi, who is also up there in doggy heaven. Also happy Super Bowl Sunday. And it happens to be my one year wedding anniversary, which is fucking insane. Guys, don't you feel like I got married four seconds ago? Like literally last Tuesday was my wedding. And somehow this day is my one year wedding anniversary. Where does time go and why is it an absolute thief? I feel like since COVID time has just been like this thing that doesn't exist. And it just every like even winter, winter is like over. How is winter over? I don't know. Is it over? Uh, Guys, time is a fucking thief. It's it's wild. It's wild. Today we are going to be talking about we and this. I mean, we as in you and I us because we're together. We're listening to this. I'm saying this. You know, we're like, we're vibing right now, guys. We're going to listen to this episode. (laughs) Yeah. um, Okay. Sorry. I'm clearly not making any sense, but this episode is going to be about a website called The Rules Revisited. Shannon from Fluently Forward, who's coming on the podcast soon, actually brought this website to my attention. It is this random ass guy wrote this blog like years ago when websites were like the thing and it's called the rules revisited. I'm assuming he wrote it in response to the original, the rules book in 1995 written by Sherry Schneider and Ellen fine. 
And it's like a man's version of the rules, but he definitely says most of the things that he says, I do not agree with. It says in his little blurb, I've dated countless women and it has always amazed me how little they know about men. If nothing else, this blog is an outlet for voicing my astonishment at the typical female's ignorance of the male mindset. At most, it is a reliable source of advice for women who want to improve their chances with the opposite sex. So he has tons of different posts on this blog, some of which I agree with, like your ex's birthday doesn't matter. And then some of which I really don't agree with that actually really upset me that are horrible. Like he has one post that's like the color of your skin does matter, which is horrific to say and think and just absolutely unacceptable. But some of the things that he has written are worth taking a deep dive into. And so that's exactly what we're going to do for a little bit of time today. Okay. This is one of the rare ones that I agree with. It's called how to make yourself approachable. And he gives a list. So we're going to go over the list. He says, don't go out with men. So again, keep in mind, this is for women. This is for straight women that he's giving advice to. Women surrounded by men never get approached. And in the rare event that they do, the men will usually make it difficult or impossible for the approaching male. So having men around you, regardless of their relationship with you or even their sexuality is the single biggest game killer. I don't disagree with this. I don't think that you should go out with men. I think obviously, ideally you go out with like a wing woman type of person. Don't hang out in a large group of girls. This is a given. If you want to be approached when you're out, and I know it's like a dying lost art, you cannot hang out in a group of large girls. Like it's just not a thing that you can do. It's too intimidating to guys, but his version or his opinion is split up into smaller groups, ideally of two or three. This gives men an opportunity to meet you without having the burden of entertaining the whole group, or at least saves them the difficulty of extracting you from it. Have an open body language is number three. Don't huddle or sit down or turn your backs on the action. Stand side by side or at an obtuse angle to one another. I'm dead for the details, like the specificity of exactly how you should be standing. But I will say that he's right. Like you should have open body language when you want to meet someone. Of course, don't force, don't worry about smiling at him. I swear all girls must have been told at some point, if a guy you like looks at you, make sure you smile. These are his words, not mine. He continues, I cannot count the number of times I've made eye contact with a girl and how to respond with what is clearly a forced and awkward smile. So here's the advice. If it doesn't come naturally, don't do it. A forced smile does nothing to improve your attractiveness and only tells the guy that you are nervous and awkward. Uh, I don't know. I disagree with him here. I think it's always a good idea to smile at someone. It never hurts anybody's feelings and it just makes people feel a little bit better. Make eye contact. This is the single most effective way of inviting a man to hit on you. Make eye contact and hold it. I don't disagree with this. I think eye contact is really important. Um, He says, avoid eye fucking guys, since this is a little too forward and definitely falls into the category of initiating. What is the difference between 
eye contact and eye fucking. Cause to me, it's pretty much the same thing unless you like make eye contact and bite your lip. Like that's like, that's aggressive. Number six, get close. If a guy wants to hit on you, getting close enough to make it happen is usually just a matter of taking a few strides in your direction. However, sometimes it can be more difficult for him and makes sense for you to get closer. I guess this goes back to like, if you're in the group of friends, break away from the group, I'd imagine. Number seven, don't stay on the dance floor all night. This one is self-explanatory, but you know what? I kind of disagree with this because that's where I ran into Steven on the dance floor. So I think that you can stay on the dance floor as long as you're open to talking to other people on the dance floor. He says, number eight, have a drink. While no one likes a sloppy drunk girl, having one or two drinks will calm your nerves, help you flirt, open your body language and make you more approachable. Just avoid getting drunk, which is unattractive. I mean, the way that he speaks, I'll give it to him. He's very direct, but I mean, like, who does this guy think he is? If you do drink, yeah, obviously, is it good to have a drink when you're out? Sure. Nine, avoid loud places. Don't hang out in front of the speakers at the bars and the clubs where you know there'll be extremely loud music. Well, duh. Some of this stuff is just like self-explanatory. Number 10, he says, choose your location wisely. Stand somewhere where men are coming and going to other than the bathroom. Like, what does that even mean? I guess that's kind of like at the bar then. And 11, don't leave too early. I've seen girls that I wanted to talk to leave the bar club before I had the opportunity to meet them. Also, a lot of men need a couple drinks before they feel comfortable approaching girls. So I guess stick it out. I don't know about that one. Like if you want to leave, you can leave. Okay. This is where he loses me. And probably all of you, he says, don't hang out with girls that are significantly hotter than you. He has an entire post dedicated to this. And it's called, I can't believe I forgot this one. He says, obviously every guy has different tastes. So you can be liberal in deciding whether or not they're hotter than you. But there are some obvious combinations to avoid, like hanging out with an eight when you're a three or four. The rule can also be extended to choosing a place to go out. Don't go to places where everyone is hot if you are decidedly not in that league. It would be like a short dude hanging out in a bar full of guys over six four. But if you are standing next to a friend that is more than three points hotter than you, don't expect to get hit on by anyone other than a wingman. Wow. Wow. That is so insanely obnoxious. Also, like, how do we know if we're three, if we're four, if we're seven, if we're eight? Like, how do we know that? And I'm actually curious. I want to do a poll question. Like, what do you think you are? Because what? Like, I also hate that scale. It's And then obviously in the comments, a bunch of women are like, you're such a dick. My friend's numbers in your book are all over the place, but I would hate it if they avoided me for supposedly being a higher scale. Some guys do go for personality and not everyone goes out to get hit on. You must be one of those blue collar douches. I worked with them for a while and none stood of chance. Either way, you are some form of shallow. Ugh. And then other people responded as well and commented that this isn't accurate. She says, I have a few really hot friends like nines and tens, but they never get the attention I do. It occurs to me that because I don't participate in drunken hookup culture, that type of guy might view getting me to sleep with him as a challenge, but this doesn't seem plausible to me. 
Yeah. So a bunch of people disagree with that. I'm curious what you have to say about that. Also keep in mind, I'm covering this blog because I think it's mostly absolutely fucking ridiculous. Not because I agree with it. Okay. Then he has another post and it's called why most women don't know what men want. Basically what he's saying is that women think we know what men want and we don't. And men think they want what women, they know what women want, but they don't. So let's see. Let's see if we agree a little bit more with this one, right? He said, here is a list of things that each sex tends to think the other likes erroneously. Men believe that women like physically attractive men, pretty boys, nice guys, men that have no hair on their bodies, sensitivity, and peaceful men. And women believe that men like women that are elusive or hard to get, tall women, confident women, women who can drink liquor straight, and women with status. Now he says, this is what women actually like and what men actually like. Women actually like men that are hard to get, tall men, confident men, men who drink liquor straight and men with status. So I guess we are reversing this, right? And men actually like physically attractive women, sweet girls, women who have no hair on their bodies, sensitive girls and peaceful girls. So basically reverse, which is interesting. I mean, I certainly don't like men who are hard to get. I don't like men who drink their liquor straight. I don't care about men with status, but tall and confident men. Yeah. I mean, who's not going to like that? What's interesting to me about this is he says men actually like sweet girls, sensitive girls, peaceful girls. Obviously, they like physically attractive women. We all like physically attractive people, right? And women that have no hair on their bodies. This is interesting. I have always been like a hairless chihuahua. And I like to maintain that for me because I personally don't like hair on my bodies. However, I have friends in relationships or marriages where the man prefers hair because like they don't like the idea of you being hairless. They think, you know, women have hair in whatever places. And so I think that this whole blog is speaking to a specific kind of man, but he concludes We always try to project our perceptions on others because we do retreat when strong evidence indicates that our perceptions are incorrect or at least inapplicable. We might retract our judgment of the asshole slow driver if our passenger points out that he's actually 10 miles per hour over the limit and we can afford to be a few minutes late. Likewise, an explanation of this phenomenon applied to sexual attraction might help women understand that For example, men are not attracted by female elusiveness or that it makes perfect sense for them to dump the nice guy with no balls and date an asshole with confidence. Overcoming this misconception is a huge first step in the right direction for women who want to make themselves more attractive to men. Okay, this is a very timely, very timely blog post that he has. And it's called What Men Think About Valentine's Day. As we know, Valentine's Day is on Tuesday. So we're going to get right into this. Keep in mind, this is this guy's thoughts. His name is Andrew Atkin, A-I-T-K-E-N. He actually wrote a book 
called Beyond the Breakup, Understanding Your Ex-Boyfriend from the Male Perspective. I'm not saying you should buy it, but maybe read the blog post first. Anyway, what men think about Valentine's Day. He claims that the average guy doesn't like Valentine's Day, aside from the obvious fact that the holiday is driven by marketing hype much more than by the honest needs of relationships. Men dislike Valentine's Day because it places pressure on them to express their feelings in an unnatural and effeminate way. And often to a degree they feel unprepared for. You know what? That's not 1000% far off. Like, yeah, I think men don't like Valentine's Day. And this actually explains it a little bit better. He says men are skeptical of Valentine's Day because they know it is at least partially motivated by a woman's need to demonstrate to her friends how much she is loved, sometimes more so than it is motivated by a true need for the visible symbols of that love. Again, while most men might not recognize this consciously, it is implicit in their thought that the Valentine's Day traditions seem overdone and excessive because they are excessive if all that drives them is the women's need for visible expressions of love. I disagree with this. I don't think that I want to express to my friends on Valentine's Day how much I'm loved. It's more for me. And maybe that's because we know that, you know, all of our friends are getting X, Y, and Z. So we want to get it too. But it doesn't, it's not like for, it's not a, a dick measuring contest or like a boob measuring contest. I don't know what that's like more for women. It's just a way to kind of check a box of like, does this person like me? Are they showing me that they like me? Because if we're hooking up and we're not dating yet, or even if we are dating and they don't do anything for Valentine's day, then they're an asshole. Like, I'm sorry. It's that simple. And I think that if you're listening right now and you're hooking up with someone or dating someone and they have yet to acknowledge Valentine's day, that is 100% being consciously done because every man knows about Valentine's day. I talked about this in last Friday's ask me anything. Like someone was like, when, like, what do I do if he, you know, doesn't acknowledge Valentine's Day? Or what do you think about when they should acknowledge Valentine's Day? And I put up a meme from the office with the episode where I'm like, BJ Novak's character is like, oh, I hooked up, I hooked up with her on February 13th because everyone knows, every man knows that it's Valentine's Day. Anyway, back to this Andrew guy. He suggests that women do three things to help their their man through the awkwardness of Valentine's Day. Number one, de-emphasize Valentine's Day by dismissing it openly to him as a marketing ploy. Say something like Valentine's Day is such a farce. If there weren't decorations in the grocery store and commercials on TV, no one would even remember it after five years. It's purely driven by marketing. Do not tell him to get you anything as this might give him the idea that you don't like receiving. We do not tell him not to get you anything. Okay. I see. No, I disagree. Like trying to dismiss it is very pick me, which I hate to use that term, but it's very much like not supporting other women. Like this is our holiday. You're not taking this fucking away from us. So I'm not going to go around being like, I'm not like other girls. I think Valentine's Day is a ridiculous thing. You know, like I do think it's a hallmark holiday where like men don't really deserve gifts but we do. That's our shit right there. We need our flowers and our chocolates and to go on our merry way. God, do you hear my husband? Cause he is taking the loudest shower in the fucking world. Like I've never heard a shower this loud. I might have to go in there and tell him to stop. Anyway, number two, get him something small. The biggest pressure on Valentine's Day comes from the culture within the relationship to make a big deal out of it. By only getting him something small like a card or dressing up in lingerie, you take a lot of the pressure off of him in the next year. 
I always say get something small or nothing at all, but that's not the reason. I think just, again, it's like, it's our holiday, not theirs. Curb whatever desire you have to show off on Valentine's Day. Aside from the fact that your single female coworkers will probably murder you when you receive roses and a huge teddy bear at the office, recognize that a truly confident woman who is secure in her relationship doesn't need the external affirmation of her peers' jealousy. I mean, this is true, but like it's said like a dick. Recognize the existing expressions of his love for you. This will help you to realize that you don't need chocolates on some arbitrary day in February. Disagree. You do need the chocolates. Again, this is our holiday. This is our time. Ladies, do not let anybody take Valentine's Day away from you, especially not this guy. Okay. So then this guy has a blog post on the advantage of dating after 30. And this I can for sure get behind. He talks about two women. One is 23 years old and the other is 32. And ultimately his point is that the 32 year old is able to filter out through the guys who kind of suck and aren't worth her time. Whereas the 23 year old is just so like bewildered by the world that she is naive and whatever. And actually to bring up Shannon from Fluently Forward again, I was listening to one of her episodes and she talks about how, and like, you know, this isn't from her. She heard it from somewhere else. And I've heard this from somewhere else, but it was just really well said in, in her episode. She talks about how you can't have everything all at once in life. Like you can have everything, but just not all at once. So like, for example, when you are young and beautiful, you don't necessarily have like the success. You don't have like the you're not wise yet, right? You you don't have that great group of permanent friends yet, you know? It's like, but you're young and beautiful, right? Then like you're old and wise, but you don't have like young and beauty, right? And then like maybe you're thriving in your career at like 38, but you don't have like you're not wise yet. You know what I mean? Like you're you're not ever going to have beauty, brains, career success, wisdom, blah, 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 all the same, all at once. And if you do, that's amazing, but like kind of scary, you know, because it's like, oh, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. Okay. So this blog post is called why you can't get the men you want. He says that most women who complain that they don't get any attention from men actually mean that they don't get any attention from the men that they want. This I agree with him on. And the simple advice for women in this situation is sometimes you aren't hot enough to get the guys you want, lower your standards. He says, however, in most cases, I think there is a deeper phenomenon at work. He goes on to explain that women tend to be aware of and rate their looks fairly accurately, but men are delusional and they think that they're like much more attractive than they are. This I don't disagree with. He basically goes on to explain that women are mostly self-aware and their self-perception of their potential is accurate, but they're not living up to that potential. Like they think they're fun and exciting, but they are a bit insecure in social situations. So men don't realize that, or they think they have a great figure, but they haven't learned to show it off by correcting their posture or they think they have great hair, but they don't style it well. They, you know, blah, blah, blah. So basically like shitting on women again. I don't agree with this, but what I did find a bit interesting, the last 
paragraph that he has is, so the bad news is you probably can't get the men that you think you can get, but the good news is that you can probably eventually get the men that you think you can get, assuming you are willing to work at it and do. The biggest takeaway is that if you aren't getting the men that you want, but you think that they are in your league, your first move shouldn't be to lower your standards. It should be to self-improve. I will agree with this just because I don't think you should ever lower your standards, especially as a woman. But I think there's always room for self-improvement. And I talk to people all the time doing dating consultations. And the one thing that like I want to recommend all the time is like, you know, if you're not 100% happy with yourself, like that's where it all begins. Like if you're not feeling good in your body, if you're not feeling happy when you're alone on the couch, you know, it's like that stuff you do need to work out first in order to be, you know, more of this light and more of this amazing person and come off as the amazing person that you are, you know? And so I think that no one is out of your league, but make sure that you think, truly believe in your heart that you are bringing as much to the table, if not more than the person that you're going after. And then like nine times out of 10, it actually, it does work out. Okay. This one I also agree with. And as you can see, I'm really only focusing on the things that I do agree with because the things I don't agree with will just make me angry. And then this will all of a sudden be like a teardown episode, which I guess it could be, but like, I want to see what out of what this man is saying we can take and use to our advantage. The importance of silence after a breakup. I say this all the time, especially if you want this person to want you back, you need silence. But more importantly, if you want to move on successfully, silence is key. He names five reasons. Now I'm feeling, I feel like I'm doing a TikTok. Five reasons that you need to be silent after a breakup. I've actually done a TikTok just like this, but this was before I found his blog at all. He says, it will show him that you are a woman of high value. Okay. Tricky, like wording, you know, we've, some people think high value women are like, you remember Nellie who came on the podcast and we might have different views of what high value women are, but his point is that you just aren't desperate or needy and you can live without him. So it will show him that number two, it will show him what he is missing by way of contrast. If you're like hitting him up all the time and these are my words, not him, not his, he will not like, he'll just think of you as like this annoying girl who's like hitting him up all the time. If he can only have his like memory bank to think about, and he'll only be thinking about your good memories, right? Like you always do that when someone isn't talking to you, it will force him to think about his options seriously. This is true because if you stay in touch with him, he'll think that he can get you back. It will empower you. This is absolutely true. The best response is no response. And I, this is one of my mottos like from a long time ago because it is so fucking empowering and it's hard. It takes a lot of self-control to not say something when you want to fucking burst and yell at someone. But it's so empowering to not, especially in an argument situation, right? I'm not saying to ignore people in an argument, but when you are the one in control of your emotion in that argument, you win like every single time like take like the Chris Rock, Will Smith example, right? Chris Rock came out looking like the hero in that situation because of the way Will Smith lost his cool. But in reality, Chris Rock 
said something that was kind of like dick. And so if Will Smith hadn't reacted to that, then Chris Rock would would have looked like an asshole and Will Smith would have looked good, you know? And five, it'll make him doubt his future options. This is interesting. I'm going to read his take. This is probably the most important mechanism at work in your attempt to get him back. And it will be powerful in proportion to the length of the relationship with you that he is ending. If you stay in touch with him in an attempt to salvage things, you will confirm his belief that he can find someone better. The longer you stay in touch with him after the breakup, the more he'll think, hmm, if she wants me so badly, girls who are hotter and sweeter will probably like me enough to date me. Why would I take her back when I know I could do better? But basically, blah, 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 blah. If you're not hitting him up, it'll occur to him that you are not making an effort to get him back. So he will always be thinking about like what it could be when he meets someone else in the future. Okay. So this part is interesting. And I want to talk to my friend Tinks about this because it kind of supports box theory. But again, I don't know if I'm fully convinced of it and we're going to have a debate on a future episode about it. Basically, he says men don't fall in love the same way women do. His point is that men do not fall in love gradually and they do not find themselves suddenly falling for women in whom they weren't initially interested. He said, I was surprised because I'd wrongly assumed that women work the same way as men in this respect, but this is not the case. I think it depends on the woman, but let's continue on. He says, the reason is a great deal of his attraction to a woman is physical and her approximate physical beauty can be demonstrated by seeing her in a handful of outfits or to some degree through photos. And two, a great deal of his attraction to a woman is rooted in her personality and energy, which can be demonstrated by experiencing her in a handful of moods. This takes longer than the physical attraction, but it is possible within a fairly limited number of encounters. So pretty much he says the information that a man needs to trigger romantic love is information that he can perceive within a few interactions with a woman. So there you have it. According to this one man, he says many of a woman's triggers for romantic love are less immediate. His one, his personal strength and emotional stability, which can only be demonstrated by seeing him react to challenging situations. And these are unlikely to arise on a daily basis. Number two, his intelligence and confidence, which, although more readily assessed, can also take time to evaluate as they are best demonstrated via situations in which his wit or knowledge is pitted against others or by seeing how he responds to other men in a variety of real life social situations. Number three, his commitment, which is only demonstrated in proportion to its duration. The longer he is with you, the longer he is likely to stay with you. Okay. So this is very interesting. And then he says, if a man isn't falling for you from an early stage, say the first month, it isn't going to happen. Don't wait around for his feelings to grow the way that yours sometimes do. They will not. Okay. So that I agree with. I think that we hear these stories all the time of people. And I've had people come on the podcast that said, like, I remember like Melissa, Melissa Wood had talked about her story with her husband and how the love grew later. And other, you know, people who've come on the podcast and said, you know, I didn't even look at him. And then all of a sudden I turned around and I realized that he was the one for me, you know, um, Ariel Vandenberg came on and talked about how she ended up falling in love with her best friend, Matt, but it took like years, you know, things like that. We hear this from women. We don't often say, 
hear men be like, oh yeah, we were best friends for so long. And then I realized that she was the one for me. Like in that way, yes, he's already like put you in, you know, if it doesn't happen in the first like month or whatever for a man, it's never happening for sure. But I don't think that before the first date, they have put you in this box, right? He has to hang out with you a few times before figuring out what he wants to wants you for. Like if it's a relationship, if it's a hookup, whatever. And by the way, that isn't to say that you have no options or choices. Obviously you do. But anyway, this is why just reiterates that a guy needs to love a girl a little bit more because of this and so much more. Okay. This part is going to be more of a hit piece. I hate this blog post of him, like actually hate. So I'm just going to read it and let you seethe on your own. He says, your love life is in trouble if one, you minimize the time that you put into looking good because you believe that only shallow men care about your appearance. Two, you tell yourself that you have plenty of time to find a guy. Three, you overanalyze what you should text men and when. Well, that I agree with. Number four, you actually believe your friends when they tell you that you have a Beyonce thing going on or compare you to any other heavy set but attractive female celebrity. Oh my God, guys. He just called Beyonce fat. Like, huh? She's literally perfect and has the perfect body that any of us would love and die to have. He's delusional. Number five. You behave differently depending on the kind of guy you are with dating at the time. That I agree with. Number six, you blame the fact that you are single on all men being assholes, the male fear of commitment, or all the good men being taken instead of acknowledging the only real problem yourself. Number seven, you reflexively criticize hot girls for being ditzy or stupid, even if they are. Number eight, you assume that a man means something when he tells you he isn't looking for anything serious right now. Oh, means something else. Okay. Yeah, that I agree with. He means what he's saying. Number nine, you are trying to date a guy who's cheating on his wife or girlfriend with you. 10, you don't own high heels. 11, you don't have a gym membership. I mean, is this guy kidding with his fat phobia? 12, you believe that you just need to be patient and soon you'll fall madly in love with a man who unexpectedly stumbles into your life, just like in the movies that I agree with. Like it's not going to happen like in the movies. Number 13, you don't think you can get more attractive than you are right now. Number 14, you believe the best way to get more attention from the men who don't approach you is instead to approach them. That I agree with. You shouldn't do that. 15, you are tall for a girl and believe slouching makes you more attractive because it takes the emphasis off your height. Well, that is just like, you know what? Not everybody has perfect height. Anyway, this post obviously shows you what kind of guy this guy is and why we are not taking all of his advice or really any of it, but kind of just doing like an analysis of it. Okay. This is just funny. And like, we need to break for this funny moment. He has a post called Katy Perry is brainwashing women. He goes, I recently watched the music video for Katy Perry song, part of me, because I was just hoping she would look hot in it. And I was sorely disappointed by her looks in the video. But more importantly, the storyline also bothered me. After apparently being cheated on, Katy Perry dumps her boyfriend, which is smart, but then decides to overcome the emotional pain by cutting her hair, joining the military and being tough and independent. I am hoping the not so subtle message of the video is less catchy than the song. Because it essentially says if you are hurt by a man, an appropriate and liberating response is to defeminize yourself. Nothing could be further from the truth. No reaction to rejection will damage your chances with other men more, like cutting off your hair. 
Okay, guys, lol, I can't. Anyway, moving to the next. Okay, this one just really pissed me off, but we're going to get into it here. It's called Men Don't Care About Your Accomplishments. Let me just preface this before I read anything by him saying, you know, by me saying, you know what? Good. Because we're not accomplishing shit to impress men. Okay. Like if we were trying to impress men, we would be fucking like giving them massages all day and like in sexy outfits. That's definitely not why we're going out there being lawyers and being doctors. We're actually going out there and doing this shit for a few really good reasons, but one of them being so we don't need to rely on a fucking man. Okay. Anyway, back to his words. He says, women who try to attract men by being successful are like men who try to attract women by being sweet or gentle. While being sweet won't necessarily ruin a man's chances with women, neither will it draw her in. Likewise, although a woman's business or academic success won't usually turn a man off, in some cases it will, he says, neither will it attract him. Both of these misconceptions are examples of their sexes projecting their own desires onto the other. It is women, not men, who find career success attractive because it demonstrates drive, focus, strength, initiative, masculine qualities. Likewise, it is men, not women, who find gentleness attractive because it is a symptom of openness, receptiveness, nurturing ability, feminine qualities. I got bored when the girl I was dating talked about work in the same way that women get turned off when a man starts smothering them with flowers and gifts or constantly apologizes unnecessarily. This isn't to say that women shouldn't earn PhDs or become CEOs or generally strive to achieve traditionally masculine goals. Whether or not women should do something is a separate question entirely from what will happen if they do. There are plenty of reasons that a woman might want to win an award or get a promotion. I'm merely pointing out that she would be foolish to do so in an attempt to attract a man. As you can see and hear, this got a lot of hate. Okay, then he has this blog post that says, are manicures worth it? And he, in the post, literally calls himself homophobic. So cool, you're a great guy, dude. But he says, women do not go to the nail salon to have their nails cleaned. You go to the nail salons to be pampered. No, that is not true. At least for me, like I actually do go to get my nails cleaned. I don't find it to be a relaxing pampering experience whatever. But I guess his whole point is that men don't care about manicures. I really think this depends on the man, but ultimately do whatever the fuck you want. Because if a guy's not going to date you because he doesn't think you have a good manicure or that you don't have enough of a manicure, he's a fucking loser. Okay. We're just going to do two more because it's exhausting. This guy is, is quite annoying, but anyway, This one says, ask for feedback if a guy breaks up with you. Okay. I once had a friend that asked for feedback from all of her exes and I was shook that she had the wherewithal to do such a thing, that she had the confidence, the lack of ego, I guess, to do such a thing because I don't know if I'd be able to handle this. I mean, part of me feels like I know what they would all say at this point, done enough therapy, heard enough things from behind my back that they might have said. So like nothing would surprise me necessarily, but would I give them the power to like rip me a new asshole? I don't know. I I imagine they do it kindly, but 
I'd hope that they do it kindly. I don't know. Some exes wouldn't. Anyway, he says that we should be asking for feedback when we're broken up with. He says most guys will be more than willing to give you this kind of feedback, especially if you are candid and legitimately curious when you ask, as opposed to bitter or defensive. Guys have a knack for being very clear and direct. And if they liked you enough to go on a date or two, it is unlikely that they will be mean or abrasive with their answer. If they beat around the bush or ignore you, it probably means that they decided you weren't attractive enough. But if they were willing to go on an initial date or two, there is probably something else you could improve. As long as you have the guts to ask and the objectivity to consider his answer, you can learn a lot from this kind of feedback. Steven, would you ever be honest if somebody texted you and asked why, what they did wrong in a relationship with you or dating you? Hello? He's thinking about it, he said. He said, probably not. Exactly. Thank you. I knew it. Okay, this one we're ending on because we're finally aligned on something. He says, don't have sex on the first date. You know, my reasons are because it's like more fun to wait. It's just like the buildup is hot, whatever, whatever. And his reasoning is obviously way more misogynist than than mine. He says men are built to be sexually promiscuous, or at least we are built so that we can be sexually promiscuous. There is little risk for a man when it comes to sex. He doesn't need to worry about pregnancy. Even if he is not using a condom, he can control when, and if not where he ejaculates as a last result, as a last resort, he is able to walk away from the woman and leave her to deal with the pregnancy. This is a repulsive thing to do. And no one denies this, probably not even the men who do it, but it can be done and is done. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. He says, there is also the factor of physical strength. If a woman goes to bed with a man she thinks she likes, she is far less able to then change her mind for fear of rape. Jesus Christ. A man on the other hand has no such problem. Sex for him is very low risk. The result of this fact is that historically men have taken the offense in all matters sexual. We are the pursuers because we are more sexually liberated by nature. We seek sexual relationships. Okay, dude, what's, where's the point here? Where's the fucking point? All right. We found kind of a point here from him that I don't agree with. A woman is judged negatively for having promiscuous sex because it takes no skill or effort on her part. That's not true. Like what? What What kind of women is he fucking? Like all that is required is her assent. There will never be a deficit of sexually willing and attractive men from which she can select if she chooses. A man, on the other hand, has to work hard or be very lucky or be rich, which is actually the product of the two in order to get the women of his own caliber into bed. This is because women, the women willing to have casual sex are so fewer and further between. Okay. Like he literally doesn't even explain, explain it, but he says at the end. So the practical advice is simple. If you want a man to respect you, don't do it. Disagree. I, you know, we hear all these stories all the time of like, we slept together on the first date. We've been dating for 10 years. Again, that's not why I'm saying that you should or shouldn't. I I don't think that you should have sex on the first date, but it has nothing to do with a man respecting you. It has to do with the fact that you don't know them yet. And the way that men fall for women is like in time spent with them, not in being sexual together. And again, I think it's just more fun to wait. But this guy is an absolute lunatic. And I like part of me is like, why did I even give his stupid blog hits? But then the other part of me is like, you know what? Go on for yourself. There's so much dating nonsense out there. And tell me your thoughts on if he is right in any way or just an absolute idiot. 
but I always think it's fun to go over someone else's opinions when it comes to the dating world. There's so much noise out there. And that is exactly what his blog is, noise. So I hope that you don't take any of it too heart too much. And I hope this was just an interesting little like deep dive into a stupid blog that a guy wrote years ago. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. And if you are enjoying these episodes, I would love, love, love be obsessed with you if you would be open to writing a review and saying what you like about the podcast. Um, I would appreciate it so much and love you. Thank you for listening. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.